What's up, fantasy nerds? Welcome to another episode of the Inking Out Loud podcast. An exciting episode is lined up for today, so for episode 79, we're finally squaring up to tackle Brandon Sanderson's Cosmere Titan, the Stormlight Archive, beginning, of course, with The Way of Kings. Now, for those who may be new readers to the Stormlight Archive, know that we are only going to be talking about everything up until the end of chapter 11 for today. We are not going to have our traditional lore slash spoilers segment for this episode, so you can listen forward entirely fearless. We're not going to be spoiling anything past part one of book one of the Stormlight Archive today. So, I'm your host, Rob Santos, and joining me, as always, is my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? And as per our tradition... I'm going to hand it off to Drew here so that he can recap what we read for this week. Drew, take it away, dude. Okay. Well, uh, for a book of this size, we actually didn't cover that much. Part one is remarkably short for uh, a Stormlight book. So we we principally followed uh, two main characters, Kaladin and Shalon. And, uh, oh man, I, uh, this is, this is so hard for me to do yeah. as a, you're as, covering as the Stormlight Archive a, right now, Drew. Yeah. Like the, the beginning, I don't know. This is, this is momentous. Um, so, so we're, we're principally following Kaladin, uh, Kaladin and Shalon. I'll start with Shalon because she is the easiest bit to cover here. Uh, she is the youngest daughter of a a noble house in the country of Yakoved. Her father has died, and the secret to their house wealth, a soul caster, a magical device that can create uh, precious metals, has been damaged in, in the uh, process of the mystery around her father dying. And so she has hatched a plan with her brothers to save her house by going off and becoming the ward of Yasna Kolin, the sister of the king of Alethkar, a notorious heretic, a notorious atheist in a very religious world, and a, a brilliant scholar. And the reason she wants to become Yasna's ward is because Yasna has a working soul caster. And so she brought the, the broken one, and her plan is to weasel her way into Yasna's confidence and swap the soul casters. Over the course of, of her couple of chapters in part one, Shalon is uh, judged, discarded, and then reevaluated by Yasna. And at the end of part one, Shalon has been grudgingly accepted to kind of tag along with Yasna and join her in her studies. Now, Kaladin. <laughs> <laughs> Kaladin is hard to summarize because we don't have all of his story right now. Uh, we, we see the very first chapter of this book, we see Kaladin through the eyes of a, a young character named Sen, a guy who dies in that chapter. He sees Kaladin as a fearless, talented leader of a squad of spearmen. And the next time we see Kaladin, at the beginning of chapter 2, is some months later, and Kaladin is suddenly a slave. He is being shipped off to the Shattered Plains, where he is sold as a bridgeman, and uh, as we discover, bridgemen are the lowest of the low. Uh, they are forced to carry bridges for armies to cross over the, the chasms on the Shattered Plains and then make a harrowing charge to a final chasm whenever they're fighting the Parshendi. And the Parshendi are shooting arrows at the bridgemen to prevent them from planting their bridges. Kaladin. Uh, yeah, so Kaladin is placed into Bridge 4, which is the unlucky bridge, and he is thrown immediately into the hell of the war on the Shattered Plains. He continues to deteriorate in his mental state to the point where he is ready to throw himself into the honor chasm, kill himself, but he is stopped at the last moment. He is saved by a spren, a little wind spirit named Sil. And that is where we end with part one. We have a very dark moment for one of our main characters and a very high moment for the other one as Shalon is finally accepted as Yasna's well, ward. And, uh, yeah. 
<laughs> I do want to point out that we actually do leave on a bit of a positive note with Kaladin at the end of part one because he gets that little candle light of warmth inside, that little bit, that little light of determination that still sparks inside of him. If you want to call that positive, you can call that positive. Yes, I, I, I do think it is. But then again, that could be colored by my, you know, context, my future knowledge. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, so, Drew, the Stormlight Archive. Like, I, I, don't e I don't even know where to begin. Honestly, it took me a long time to decide. I wanted to start off by saying, or stating, I should say, the obvious. And, this, and say that, <clears throat> pardon, this is likely the largest and, and most ambitious epic fantasy series that we may ever cover on the Inking Out Loud podcast. The Wheel of Time at 14 novels you know, may end up being the larger series by the time both are finished, but not only is that looking less and less likely to be the case as we go on, there's a lot of new ground to cover here, both for huge Sanderson fans as we are, Drew and I, um, but also considering the fact that these novels are going to be published as we continue going forward for the podcast for hopefully years to come. So we're getting our chance now to discuss everything we want to discuss. We're splitting up our read of these books into far more parts than, we, than we're used to. Specifically, we're going by established narrative parts this time. But I want to talk about our first experiences reading this book. See, the Stormlight Archive was... was a little easier for me to read on my first read than I imagined it would be for like brand new Sanderson readers, but even then it was like it was a, it was a mind game. Like we start this narrative not only with a prologue, but we have a prelude to that prologue, and then we have flashback that serves as chapter one before our current story begins in chapter two. We have four different scenes taking place across four separate times chronologically, just to yeah. start us off. Like I absolutely inhaled this book but i wanted to ask you drew how did this book take you the first time you opened it do you remember your first impressions i do okay I do remember me. it took me two tries to read this book the first time i was already oh. a big brandon sanderson fan uh, i had read all of mistborn i had read warbreaker i had read elantris i was all aboard I was into the Cosmere. I was like, this is this is super cool what this guy seems to be doing here. I've enjoyed his stories this you know thus far. And he's got this giant new book coming out. Alright, The Way of Kings, let's check it out. And I remember opening it up to that prelude and reading the prelude and being like I, I don't I don't get it. I don't care. And I read the prologue. I read the Zeth scene and I was like I guess that was kind of cool, but I, I feel like I still don't really care. <laughs> and I put the book down after reading the prologue. And really? it wasn't until uh, a couple of weeks later I had gone back. I was in the middle of a Black Company reread at the time. And I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to do my Black Company. I'm, I'm like in the books of Glittering Stone. This is like... It's getting real in the Black Company and my reread. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do what I love. I'm, I'm going to enjoy it. And I finished it, and I I had a couple of different books that I could choose to read. And uh, and and I kind of just found myself looking back over it. My Way of Kings, you know, that blue hardcover sitting over on the bedside table. And I was like, man, this is Brandon Sanderson. Like, I... I gotta give this book another shot. Like, I, I can't just drop it after the prologue. And so I picked it back up, and I read the prelude again, and I was like, this still is, is so weird. I don't, I don't get it. Whatever. I'm, I'm gonna ignore that. I'm, I'm just gonna... I, I put it in the back of my mind. And I read the prologue again, and I paid more attention to the prologue. So I was like, okay, this feels different. This feels like the real beginning of the book. The prelude... And we'll, we'll talk about this a little more in style later. It, it didn't feel right. The prologue felt right when I read it the second time. And then I read chapter one and I was like, okay, so the Sen dude. Like, this is this is our hero. We got this Kaladin Stormblessed guy who's who's a badass. You know, cool. And then I got to the end of chapter one. I was like, oh, okay. Oh, well, so Sen died. <laughs> and then I got to chapter two and suddenly it's Kaladin. And I'm like, oh, wait, but he's a slave now? Like, what what is going on? And I was super frustrated. I was so freaking frustrated reading this book properly for the first time, even though it was my second try. 
through part one into part two, I just, I wasn't really enjoying it. And it wasn't until part three, that first time, that the things started clicking for me where I, I found myself engaged with the characters. Where I, I got used to the world building and I started connecting with the characters. And it was Shalon who, who connected, you know. And so, my first reading experience with this was very, very different from what it is now. And, and when I go back and I, I reread part one now, and this is the second time in the last seven months that I have read part one of The Way of Kings. And uh, it's, it feels like home to me now, the way rereading The Wheel of Time feels like home to me. Uh, I finally reached that point with the Stormlight Archive where the familiarity and the comfort is there. And, uh, and that's a good feeling. It's a good feeling. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, no, I... I didn't have any of the problems that I hear some people had going into The Way of Kings, and just that it's it's a very, very um, kind of overwhelming book to kind of just jump right into, particularly if you don't have any experience with Brandon Sanderson's style beforehand. Yeah, I, I mean, cannot this, imagine starting Brandon Sanderson's yeah, This is completely the alien. There, there's nothing in this book that really relates to anything that you're comfortable with in an epic fantasy book. Uh, like I, I, I inhaled it. I loved it. Uh, I mean, the the prelude didn't make any sense. Of course, we had we we had zero context. We still, you know, we don't we don't have complete context. No. Um, but the the prologue, like we're starting our current story, if you want to call it that, even though, even though this takes place six years previous, it, this is our current story with Zeth Sunson Volano, truthless of Shinovar, who wore white on the day that he was to kill a king. You know, first off, putting aside how incredible that opening line is, uh, the, the, the magic <laughs> system, the magic system that Brandon, like, under, unlike his other notable series, we have Mistborn, Elantris, Warbreaker, and this book in the Stormlight Archive, and in the Way of Kings, he throws us into the magic immediately. From the prologue, we're thrust into the action as Zeth is fighting, and he's using not one, but all three of the separate gravitational lashings. He's also wielding and he's fighting against and overcoming supernatural instruments like shard blade and shard plate. We're seeing different varieties of spren from the very beginning. It's it's quite the cold dunking that we get. It's it rather than the warm waves that we normally get to attune ourselves to this new world but in hindsight i looked at it on this reread diving in deeper it kind of makes sense roshar is not a world of comfort or invitation like the storms that ravage this planet and they have for so long our narrative itself arrives with shock and momentum and it's tumultuous almost to the point of chaos the narrative itself matches the aesthetic of the world in in a way that i, that I find really really works i love it so I don't love this prologue. No? This is... I, I recognize this is a, a controversial statement because a lot of people really freaking love this prologue. This is the most egregiously ham-fisted info dump Brandon Sanderson has ever done for his <laughs> magic systems. Yeah. It, there... We, you know, Daniel Green, when he was on our Mistborn episodes, he complained a little bit about the, the info dumpiness of uh, the, the magic system I wouldn't being say he explained. Complained about it. It, well, he brought it up as a criticism. Sure. Okay. It is so much better handled in Mistborn, the Final Empire, than it is in The Way of Kings. It is. Man, it is so just unsubtle it, but, it makes no sense in the point of view uh, like Zeth Zeth is a pro right he is uh, uh, he's so experienced with his weapon and with these surges with the lashings that we see here he is a pro and and yet he takes the time to explain in his narrative what he's doing. It makes no sense. 
The only reason it happens is because the author needed to explain to the reader. And, and that, and the fact that it was just thrown at us in, in such a blatant way. This is one of the biggest criticisms I have about this book. Generally speaking, the Stormlight Archive, amazing. It has the potential to, to be my favorite fantasy series of all time. The prologue of the first book, not great. <laughs> I might not I great. might push back a little bit, and I might agree with a little bit. I will say that I was really, really intimidated going in it, and I imagine that a lot of readers would lose interest um, having experienced this for the first time, especially if they are not a very, very experienced fantasy reader. Um, I was I already had previous contacts with the Mistborn trilogy and Warbreaker and Elantris that I, I already had a trust for the author that, you know, a new reader may not have going in. But um, the, the info dumpy part didn't bother me because at the time I didn't have the context that Zeth was as good as he was. Like, like I was discovering that he was. But I still, as, as a brand new reader who was completely at sea in this alien world, I still appreciated it in its entirety, like all the extra detail. It was still hard to, to, to grasp that I, I still, I was still glad that I was getting all this information. Uh, I, I don't, I, I can see what you're saying though. Like knowing as much as I know now, if I were to go back and read it again and, and pay attention to exactly what you're talking about, because well, I, I know what kind of person Zeth is. It's not even of... like a, like an in-world in, in knowledge thing. Like, it doesn't matter what you know about where the series is going. What matters is how Brandon Sanderson wrote it. It breaks the point of view. It's, it's like, it's an example of, a, a fantasy novel example of when, in a movie, the, the writer's build the world by having a character tell another character something they already know, leading it off with, well, as you know, X, Y, and Z. You know, like, it's... So, yeah. It's only there because the reader needs to know it. And it's not, like... like When we're, when we're working in the limited third-person perspective, the close third-person perspective that Brandon Sanderson writes in, he generally does a very, very good job of building a voice around each point of view. This prologue doesn't adhere to that voice. The, the descriptions of the lashings, the explanations of how Zeth is doing this, it doesn't fit with Zeth's it's narrative voice. It's not subtle yeah, it's, at all. It's I can, Brandon I can agree Sanderson that. talking directly to the reader in the middle of Zeth being our lens into the scene. And I don't know. And it needs I, to be subtle. You know, I, I'll, I'll be honest. I don't have a good solution to this. I don't know how I would have addressed this kind of a thing writing this series. But, you know, look, I'm not as good a writer as Brandon Sanderson. I'm not as ambitious a writer. I would never in a million years try to do what he's doing with this freaking book because this book is insane. And the fact that he has to be ham-fisted at the beginning of it—that's my know, point. Like it may, it may have it, it just it may be necessary for yeah, the it may be unavoidable wave that's coming. You have to at least get a little dunk to begin with. You can't just start off slow. And it be, may and be, be unavoidable, by the but I will still criticize it because it is it, it it does not fit the narrative voice that he uses throughout the rest of the book. And it is a particularly unsubtle bit of writing for for a writer whom, I will be honest, is not known for being subtle. <laughs> it's a diplomatic This is a it. particularly unsubtle thing that Brandon Sanderson has done. I'm not saying that like that's a like a, a, a major, major problem, that, that like he needs to be some incredibly subtle Gene Wolfe, you know, uh <coughs> writer to to be good he he is what he is brandon sanderson is extraordinarily successful extraordinarily popular for good reason yeah I would, I this mean, I chapter would, is not why he's extraordinarily I would agree popular. That, he, that this is not a subtle move and he is not known to be a subtle author I would just, my only pushback at this point would say, I don't think, for this particular book, at this point, for what he's preparing us for, it doesn't need to be subtle. You know, I, I, I don't have a problem with it. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. So. 
Well, I do, and I have voiced that, so listeners, feel free to uh, flame me <laughs> feel free in, to take in the comments on, on you know whatever your platform of choice is, uh, but I am, I am professing I am not a fan That's fair. of the prologue of The Way of Kings. That's fair. You're going to have more <laughs> prologues to talk about in the future, so... I will, and I am... Every prologue in, in the... The thus far written books is better than this one. Oh my god, I cannot wait to get to the Rhythm of War prologue. Oh god. Oh. That's the only part of that book that I've read besides chapters one and two as well. But anyway, uh, mm. getting back to the book here. Uh, <laughs> epigraphs. As I find myself repeating so often, how do we talk style about an author like Brandon Sanderson without bringing up his epigraphs? I love the mystery of them in The Way of Kings, especially in part one here, these death rattles, the foreboding, the complete lack of explanation or exposition so that we're only left with incomplete impressions. The, the epigraphs instill this sense of fear and dread that even excellent epigraphs like those in Mistborn don't really bring. These ones are broken. They're nonsensical. The pieces that are left are scarier for the lack of context with which we have to place them. I hope so badly that if we ever get this translated to any kind of screen at all, that they include a few of these at the beginnings or the endings in harsh, maniacal whispers. There's just I'm just such a, a sucker for aesthetic. At this point, I think it's very clear to anybody who's listening who's heard enough of our content. I'm such a sucker for the cool, and these yeah. bring it all. You know? Yeah, yeah. Going through, we're on what? What are what is a seventy nine episodes, episodes of today. main content on Inking Out Loud? We have covered dozens of books, and I don't know if it just just from my I don't know how long have we known each other? Ten, eleven years now? Uh, uh since midway through twenty ten, something like that. Yeah, about ten. Yeah, ten and change something. Yeah, so. In, in the decade or so that I have known Rob and, and gotten to know Rob, yep. I don't know if I've ever read a series that was more perfectly made for Rob Santos's aesthetic like, <laughs> yes. than the Stormlight Archive. Drew like, understands it, me on a level that <laughs> not a lot of people do. And, and and that's why I push Rob. You you if you look back through our catalog of Inking Out Loud episodes, you'll see some some interesting books in there. You you'll see the Acts of Cain. You'll see a memory called Empire. You know, uh, we've we've covered some books that are not traditionally popular and are not uh, the the type of cool. <laughs> that the Stormlight Archive is, though. Though I will, I will say the Axe of Cain is pretty freaking cool. Uh, it's got its when, when Matthew Stover gets on his horse, man, that guy can write a scene. But, but he, excuse me, uh, when I say he, Brandon Sanderson writes a particular style of cool. Yes. Uh, we we've talked about it as being cinematic in the past. We've talked about vivid scenes. Uh, moments in his books that imprint themselves upon your memory to the point where you can close your eyes after having read a specific scene in The Final Empire eight years ago. You can close your eyes and you can picture that scene in your head. Like, that's how Brandon Sanderson writes. And that's what Rob Santos loves to read. And, and now we're well. reading the series... That does it the best. <laughs> oh my god! I'm so I I I'm really really struggling to maintain a level of subjectivity. I really really am, or I should say objectivity, <laughs> not subjectivity. The opposite, objectivity. I'm really really struggling to maintain objectivity here with what very Mel, very Mel maybe. Wow, <laughs> very well maybe. My favorite series of all time. Like I, I talked endlessly about how much I loved the ending of Mistborn, particularly the Hero of Ages, but I don't know if I can remain neutral. <laughs> in, I in can a only like imagine this. what the end of the Stormlight Archive is going to be like. It, I'm not. I'm not. 
I'm gonna need to be. I'm gonna. I can't even. Ex I don't even know how I'm gonna approach it. I do, like. Uh, it may be the, like. No, that's it. I'm, I'm done. I'm done exploring that. I don't want. I don't want to think but, about it ending. What? Well, 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 not even the ending of, of book ten. The end of book five. Yeah, we have the end of the, the large arc. arc coming up, and I'm going to be catatonic <sighs> for four months afterward. <laughs> I'm going to struggle no, no, for me because un unless. Unless I utterly fail in my calling in life, uh, we we will have advanced copies of the fifth book, and we will have recorded episodes about it, and you will have to talk about it instead of just going into a an, an epic coma. <laughs> it's going to be like a food coma when you just, like, pass out from Turkey Day. It's... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. There's... I, I could talk... I could seriously make 10 hours about each of these parts. Like, I have gone through this series so many times. I've listened to them in audiobook more than I have any right to have done. Like, I've worn out multiple sets of earbuds listening to each book. I... <clears throat> I just... Yeah. Oh, my God. Let's let's just go forward with style because I'm... I, I'm too excited not to. Yes. Uh, Actually, did I just say let's go forward with style? Because I have nothing left about style in particular. I'm ready for characters. Well, I'm I'm not ready for characters. Oh, okay. So, so uh, I I mean I think this is a good bridge into character from style. Uh, I talked about narrative voice within point of view. Um, uh, you know when I was criticizing the the prologue. But once we get into the, the proper chapters, the meat of this book, part one gives us two point of view characters, uh, Shalon and Kaladin, we switch mm -hmm. off between them, and man, does he do a good job of establishing different voices for these characters. Kaladin is, when you, when you dig into the writing, Kaladin is so introspective. He's, he is very tied into uh, emotions and, and, and the well-being of people around him. The way, whenever Kaladin considers a person around him, it's considering them in what is their state of being. How are they doing? When he describes a man, he describes a man as, oh, he had a wet cough. Or, oh, this guy was despondent. Or, or this woman is haughty. You know, he, he digs into the emotional and physical conditions of the people around him. With Shalon, she doesn't do that. When she considers the people around her, she considers them in an artistic way. She considers them almost as set dressing. <clears throat> she looks at them and, and describes them. She describes the, the sailors on the ship. She describes the, the runner, you know, for her uh, palanquin. She describes Yasna Kolin. She describes Teravangian. Mm. She describes the Arden in the Palanium. You know, like, she, she doesn't really care about how these people are doing or what they're like. She, did, she cares about how they appear. You know, that's, that's a really astute point. I actually, and and I hadn't and considered these, that. I didn't notice these that. are are insights into how Kaladin and Shalon operate as human beings. What do they care about? And and if you're a writer like Rob is, like I am, if you're if you're working on a book, you're trying to get published. If you are published and you're looking to improve, these are the kinds of things you can you can look at when you're writing your point of view characters. If you're writing a first person perspective, especially. Because voice is so important for a first-person perspective. But if you're writing a, a, a third limited, a third close perspective like this, and, and when you have multiple point-of-view characters, it is so important to develop a voice and a perspective for each of your characters so that when you're in character A's point of view, it feels different from when you're in character B's point of view or character C's point of view. Brandon Sanderson puts on a freaking masterclass on how to do that in part one of The Way of Kings. Hmm. You know, I definitely hadn't considered that. I'm, I'm going to be looking at it now. I'm paying attention to it now that I, you know, when I do my rereads in the future. I, I guess I was just too immersed right away. I'm just, I'm far too close 
to see the big picture. I'm just immediately invested in whomever I'm reading at any given point. And I think that that just goes to, you know, that just that's another mark in uh, Sanderson's favor. You know, he, he writes it. See, it, it, it has this flavor of effortlessness to it at this point yes. in his career. Yes. I, he so I, I have, you know, we, we've covered Elantris, we've covered Warbreaker and we've covered Mistborn Era one. And if you're a Patreon uh, subscriber for us, you, you've heard some of our uh, coverage of his novellas. The Way of Kings is, to me, the turning point in Brandon Sanderson's career. And, it, I mean, maybe it's easy to say The Wheel of Time was I was going to say point. Towers of Midnight, but that's also the same year. Yeah, but but what I think it is is that Brandon Sanderson was a very good writer through his early books, his his first five novels. You know, the three Mistborn Era one books, Elantris and Warbreaker. He was a very good writer. He was he 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 was a flawed writer. He had some definite problems. He had a few crutches, I would say. When he when Game he got crazy. to work on the Wheel of Time, and he was thrown into the deepest end of epic fantasy maybe ever. It was sink <laughs> Working or swim. On, yeah, the climax of one of the most insanely detailed and rich fantasy series of all time. He had to learn how to write in, in, in a way that he can handle a huge number of points of view. He had to learn how to develop that narrative voice. And you can see him struggling through that in the Wheel of Time books. We've covered the Wheel of Time. If you've read those, check out our episodes. Uh, they're they're a bunch of fun. But like he he uh, he struggled with some characters, and he nailed some characters. And as he wrote through his three books of the Wheel of Time, he got better at it. But for Brandon Sanderson's career. Did I just say Brander Sanderson? No, no, I think you said Brandon Sanderson. Uh, <laughs> I almost said I almost said Sandin Branderson <laughs> last week. I remember that. Anyway, for his career, The Way of Kings to me is the book that it's it's the the demarcation. It is the line across which he became great. When he published The Way of Kings, he applied the lessons he learned working on the Wheel of Time to his own characters. Characters he didn't need to worry about. Am I getting the voice right? Do I understand this character well enough? Oh, I, I don't, you know, I, I'm not totally sure how Robert Jordan meant this character to be written, but this is my interpretation. I hope it lands. You know, he didn't have to worry about that. So he could take the lessons he learned and say, this is my character. This is Kaladin Stormblast. This is Shalon <clears throat> Devar. This is the voice that Kaladin is going to have. This is the voice that Shalon is going to have. And, and it was a revelation, man. It was so good. It was such a demonstrable step up in quality of writing... There's a reason why The Way of Kings is Brandon Sanderson's most beloved book. If you were to pull every yeah, single yeah. fan of Brandon Sanderson and say, what is your favorite book? The Way of Kings, I guarantee you will be number one on that list. Yeah. I, I don't agree. It's not my favorite book. But I understand why people think it is. Can I guess your favorite book? <clears throat> I think I know your favorite Sanderson book. Well, okay. Firefight? No. No, you're oh, you're about to tell me rhythm of war, aren't you? It, it is the rhythm you, of war, you uh, son of a bitch. But but no, not not kind of rhythm <laughs> of war, uh, not kind of rhythm of war. It's Oathbringer. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Uh, I, I I think he has gotten better every book so far in the Stormlight uh -huh. Archive, but the Stormlight Archive is truly his best work, and it, it's because. He had that experience early in his career working on other series. He got to test things out, see how they worked. He got to work out the kinks of his writing style, his mechanics, and, and, and find his, his best voice. 
and he found it. Mm. He freaking found it. Yeah. Now that we've spent well over half an hour on style, <laughs> should we use that note to jump into characters? Start talking yes. about yeah, yeah. We, we got to start moving. We got to start moving. <laughs> <laughs> so, Kaladin Stormblast. It's it's surreal to me in a way that I finally get a chance to talk about this guy on my own podcast. At this point, Kaladin's in a tough spot. You know, both in his, in his mental health and his security in life, he suffers from something that in my experience, hadn't really been explored too much when I had read this for the first time in epic fantasy before. Uh, chronic depression. You know, at least depression, chronic depression yeah. in our main character. In, inside someone's head whom we spend a, a vast majority of this narrative. Now, we're not seeing any heroics out of Kaladin just yet. Particularly Except not this Except for early maybe in chapter one. In the book. In oh, he's, that's, a good, that's a good point, but... It's 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 treated more alien. We don't get to. We're not in his head. It's more yeah, like a, yeah, a strange. We're, we're we're a reverent witness, is what we are. So I I okay. Sorry, I'm gonna tie it back to style real quick. Go for it, man. If you need to. Chapter one, that Sen perspective, yep. seeing Kaladin Stormblessed, and and I think that's very important that we get the name Stormblessed attached to him in chapter one. He is elevated to an almost mythic. Stature, like you can tell, that's not a that's not a last name, that's not a family name. That is a title people have bestowed on this guy because he has earned it. And every time I read that chapter, I am reminded of the Iliad. Oh, I am okay. reminded of the the way the heroics, the battles outside of Troy, the 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 mythic nature of heroes like Hector and Achilles are are lauded the the way they're they're almost worshipped and you get that in sense perspective he is in complete awe of Kaladin Stormblast and yes. what a move Rightfully by so. Brandon Sanderson to go from that to the next level where he is a miserable, wretched slave. Well, I think the contrast is important, though, to realize just how far down, or to see at least for ourselves, just how far Kaladin has fallen. A absolutely. To lend a lot to his his mental health there and, and, and his lack of confidence and his ability to save people. Yes, um, absolutely. To, to balance that, though, I'll say that Brandon's got, in, in, in Kaladin's first couple of viewpoints here he's got this bit of dark humor that really gets to me here i love kaladin's initial exchanges with tavlakov mm -hmm. you know and and like kaladin i kind of find myself in a, in a way morbidly liking this this slave trader and, and we've talked at length before about sanderson's approach to humor and i'll have a lot more going forward to talk about with shallan's point of views Points of view, I should say. But here, with, with Kalan... Kalan. <laughs> I'm going to be doing that continuously. We're on fire, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Kaladin's opening chapters here, you know, I, I genuinely enjoyed some of the banter. Which I don't, you know, I don't normally find to be a strength of Brandon Sanderson. At least, you know, one of his greatest and most notable strengths. But this banter here, I actually loved it. Can I, can I ask you? Um, sure. Does it remind you... These these early Kaladin chapters, the banter, the humor, the dark humor. Yeah. Does it perhaps remind you of Glenn Cook? Glenn Cook? Not particular. Oh, I mean, between whom? Croker and... Just generally Croker, but especially Croker and, and Raven. Okay, that, 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 bit, that bit of just, like, dark understanding. Yeah. Yeah, how's that? Maybe so, be Raven and Chase. This is uh, Case. What am I saying? Again, I, I, I'm sorry. Like, we are not gonna ever be able to talk about anything in the Stormlight Archive without me tying it back to style. I feel like, um, <laughs> but, but this ties back to, you know, a, a look into Brandon Sanderson's style, and I, I have to give him credit on on this count. Uh, he has a specific sense of humor. Uh, we've been very critical of it in the past, and and most of the humor in his books is a particular style. 
this is not that style. However, Brandon has been on the record as saying, look, I know humor is subjective. I know some of my jokes aren't going to land with a lot of people. I know some jokes will land. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to write in a range of senses of humor. And obviously there's, you know, there's a focus on what he thinks, you know, what his sense of humor is, because that's, that's the most common, but you get humor in other styles. And these early chapters are a great example of that, of Kaladin showing this dark, fatalistic humor that is emblematic of, uh, Grimdark, you know, The Black Company, First Law, A Song of Ice and Fire, uh, you know, Broken <laughs> Empire, any of these series, you're going to see this style of humor in those. So Brandon Sanderson early on says, look, I can appeal to this audience too. Yeah. And he no, does first... so. Yeah, he does so through Kaladin. First, find me a cliff. What, that'll give you something to see out over? No, no, it'll give me something to throw you off of. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, so, it's so morbid, it's so dark, it's so challenging, and of course none of our characters are laughing, and I guess in a small way that's why I'm laughing. Yes, that's such a black company line. That's such yeah, a black company I mean, line. <laughs> and for any of, our, any of our listeners, if you have never read The Black Company by Glenn Cook... Go do that right now. <laughs> well, hold on. Finish listening to the episode, and then go do that. No, first, wait, wait. Finish listening to the episode, check out our Patreon, <laughs> and then go read Glenn Cook. It's the most shameless shout-outs we have ever done. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, no, but no like, seriously, seriously, the, the Black Company is an absolutely excellent series. Uh, if you like military fantasy, if you like cynical, sarcastic humor... Definitely check it out. Uh, but back to Kaladin. Mm. Back to Kaladin. Story. Because that sense of humor, you know, that's there. But but it goes away because other things very quickly become more important. Yeah. Uh, like his trip to the honor chasm. You know, powerful scene. Very, very, very powerful bit of writing there. The manner in which he's treated on the way to his own demise, you know, leaving the vest and the sandals in that puddle of water, that last oh. insult from Gaz, that this this hushed quiet of the morning and the, and the fresh of the rain, it's just, it, in comes Sill, bringing this little candle's worth of warmth in one of the most uh, adorably and unknowingly morbid gestures I've ever read, bringing Kaladin back that leaf of Blackbane, you know? It's just like, yeah. oh, you little innocent little child, you. You have no idea. <laughs> but it's it's all the more adorable for it. If, and, and I, sorry, if go ahead. summer were a season on Roshar, you would say, oh, my sweet summer child. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I do appreciate that we start to see Kaladin in such a dark place because it gives so much more meaning to the scene of his that comes next. And... Oh wait a second! I can't talk about that scene though. Ah, no, sorry. You can't. I can't talk about that scene next. I, I totally forgot that we're ending up part one here. Okay. Um. Yeah, I, I can't continue then. <laughs> Damn it. Well, no, but but I mean, we can we can talk about the honor castle. Uh, you brought up earlier about how Kaladin is a chronically depressed person. Yes. And how it is it is not typical to be reading the point of view of a chronically depressed character. And what we have here is a chronically depressed character in one of the worst situations imaginable. I mean, it's it's tough to get worse than being in bridge form. You know, uh, this is a guy who has the cards stacked against him and then rolls up to a new place and finds out there are like five other decks of cards also stacked against him. Like, he... Of course he's going to reach a point where suicide is a viable option. It's, it's an attractive option. And I think it's a testament to Kaladin. Yes, he, he probably would have, would have leapt off the edge if 
Sill had not arrived. And that shows, you know, like, just how bad things have gotten. But he he is also the kind of person who only needed that little gesture, who only needed that little nudge to to say, you know what, no, I'm stronger than this. I can I can hang on. I can try again. I'm afraid yeah. of losing anything, everything. Well, if it's I've reached doomed, a point what where there's try? nothing left to lose. So why not try? What a what a, what prof- a fatalistic found. What a profound statement that is. Yeah. There is nothing left to lose. I am at rock bottom. So why not try again? And there's something about the fact that Sill whispered that to him. She didn't state it. She didn't declare it all smugly like we like we may have Actually, no, we don't have the context to expect it for at this point. She whispered it. She was afraid in that moment. Yeah. She was reverent. She was respectful. She was hopeful, but she wasn't daring. It was a very, very intimate, like, intimate moment, and it's just, it's just so perfect. Life before death. Mm. <laughs> Life before death, Radiant. Um... Let's see here. That's everything I have about Kaladin. Do you have anything else about Kaladin before we move on to Shallan? No. Let's let's go to Shallan. Okay. So let's go to Shallan Devar. So Shallan is a character that I'm torn on. Like she's got yep. a lot going for her, but she's also mm-hmm. a tad frustrating to read at times. She has post-traumatic stress, which though I find engaging about a character, <clears throat> pardon, I also find infuriating at times, mostly because of the way that I read books, that I consume this kind of content. I'm constantly looking for clues. And her particular condition causes her to mentally block a lot of delicious, if somewhat morbid, secrets that she already knows. And with so much mystery relying on this third-person limited point of view, that's the important part there, the third-person limited point of view, it's hard not to grow impatient at times with her complete refusal to face her past. I can appreciate that she's been emotionally scarred, and a lot of her composure, not to mention her family's welfare and safety, relies on her ability to keep it together for now. But a part of me wishes that this whole post-traumatic stress as a plot point could have been could have taken place with maybe a tertiary character, perhaps with somebody whose head we don't spend so much time in, since myself, I'm a reader who's constantly searching, who's constantly sniffing, who's always looking for the most delicious little details that the author is trying to sweep under the rug, and so to see this constant, oh no, I can't think about this, it's it's just, it, it's so tantalizing that I, I find myself growing inevitably frustrated at times. Yeah. Oh man, you, you put that so perfectly. Uh... Uh, she, she is a character. She she's a two face, uh, where where <laughs> you can find yourself reading her chapters and being uh, so nice. frustrated, and then and then two sentences later, you're you're enjoying it, and and you you kind of never know when that coin is gonna flip. When, when you're going to cross that line and be like, okay, no, I'm frustrated with you again. Yep. But, but I think that makes her interesting to read. I know a lot of readers dump on Shalon. A lot of readers don't like her. But I'm one. Man, I'm I not. I, in, in The Way of Kings, especially in this part one here, you know, like her chapters, I don't love her first chapter. Or at least the first part of it. Her on the ship... I I am. It it falls closer to the camp of how I feel about the prologue, where it's very info dumpy, but it is at least in Shalon's perspective where info dumps make sense. She is the descriptive artistic person who wants to impress upon herself what the world looks and feels like around her, and so it makes sense for her to be describing all of this for the reader. Hmm. It, it, it is an info dump, technically, 
but it's also a character building moment. So while, while, like I said, you know, the, that first chapter can be a little frustrating. It doesn't bother me the way Zeth's prologue does. But once she gets into Carbronth, when she gets into the palace and she meets Teravangian and she meets Yasna, I am just enthralled by those scenes. I, I like the way she's challenged. I like the way she is forced to be creative to achieve her goals. Uh, the way she finally convinces Yasna, like, all right, well, if you're just going to be hanging around me, I guess I may as well take you on. You know, like, I may as well let you be here. Uh, yeah. It was, uh, it, I don't know, it, it fits the character. It it's fun to read and it is satisfying as a reader to reach that moment at the, you know, near the end of part one where, where Yasna says, you know, well, I may as well. It feels like a victory and it, and, and that's a good victory to feel as a reader this early in the book. It's a hook. It's, it's Brandon Sanderson dropping a line in the water with a worm on it. And you being like, oh, oh, yeah, I want that worm, and then and then he sets that hook, and suddenly you're like, okay, yeah, I'm in. You know, very well done, and that's why I enjoy reading her. Yeah, like you're you're right in that. A lot of fans, especially you know, I've seen a lot of fans as well say that they just they can't stand Shalon. I will admit that I am one of those fans overall that cannot stand Shalon. Um, but for this part of this book, I don't have any particular problem with her. And I definitely don't want it to be said that any problems I have with Shallan's character are because of Sanderson and his portrayal of Shallan. It's just how, I mean, it, it, it's actually part of how well he, uh, how well, how great he writes that character. Um, I've seen a ton of fan support for Shallan as well. Like either you seem to love her or you hate her. She's a very polarizing uh, character in this in this series. Um, but I've seen a lot of support for her, particularly from the female audience as well. And so I think that speaks volumes about Sanderson's improvement as a writer uh, to approach a character who's you know not only not his gender obviously, but mm -hmm. suffers from a devastating mental condition that. Sanderson himself wants to write with respect, and I think he does a phenomenal job with that. And one thing that I get, that I actually do really get, that I earn out of these early Shallan chapters is is a reason to be envious of Shallan myself. Shallan displays such a tenacity that's not only respectable in its own right, but it's it's also one that's so contrary to her character and her sense of confidence. I'm someone who's who's always hearing stories about hounding this particular job that you want so badly, so boldly against all discouragement that you face and adversity that you face. And I'll admit that I'm just, I'm too timid myself as a person <laughs> to deal with that kind of rejection. So I just, I, I admire Shallan's dedication to challenging herself and confronting her feels. Her feels? Her fears. Oh my God. <laughs> Drew, what are we doing for this episode so, here, so man? So I, I want to let our listeners know we're recording this very late at night. Hey, it's one o'clock in the morning here when I'm recording. And yeah. I've, yeah. So, so <laughs> excuse some of our uh, <laughs> vocal missteps. <laughs> some of them, yeah, but don't excuse others. There, there are some that are. Yeah, yeah. You're more than welcome to give us give us some crap uh, on social media. Yeah, Sandin Branderson. Oh my God, I'm never gonna live or, that or, one down. Or Brander Sanderson that I said yeah, earlier. Really. Uh, um, Shalon, though, she's she's got a lot going for her. In, in terms of her character potential, she and does. I am, I am gonna say that I I will have even more positive to say about her viewpoints in part two because a lot of her interactions with Yasna are some of my favorite parts of this book. Yeah, yeah. yeah so uh, if if we're done talking about Shalon for part one, I am. Uh, do you have any other characters you want to bring up? Yasna. I need okay. to talk about Yasna. I need to. Wax right, rhapsodic. Remember, about... we're not spoiling anything going forward. Um, so only yes. in the context of part one. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Without a doubt, bar none, no contest, without question or peer, my favorite female character of all time. I am uh, a bigger fan of Yasna uh, Kulin than I am of Moiraine Dowager. Disappointing. 
very disappointing. Plenty of time. Oh, oh, you're going to uh, fight me on that, Drew? The Duchess Chrysala is so disappointed in you. Oh, uh, I don't have the context necessary, okay? But I, I really doubt that she's going to sway me as much as Yasna Colin. I love Yasna. Uh. Like, she's, Yasna's perfect. She's not only intimidatingly intelligent, but she's razor sharp with that intelligence. She can verbally eviscerate you before you can say, but brightness? You know, she's classy, she's gorgeous, but more importantly, she has no time for anyone's bullshit. And all said, <laughs> that's the very definition of an engaging character for me. I love Yasna Kolin's ability to poke holes in anything from any point in a conversation. And just as I, as I said with Shallan, I'm going to have a lot of fun dis like, discussing her discussions in part two. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Huge Yasna fanboy right here. Self-admitted. Self-professed. Okay. All right. Well, I don't have any further character points for part Yeah, one. I had written down some about Ishik, but that's not going to be talked about today. Yeah, I, we'll, I, I, we'll I was a little ambitious with my reading week. for this week. Yeah, so in, in case you're listening today hoping we're going to talk about the first set of interludes in this book, we will be covering those next week, uh... This week, our our extra part uh, bits are the the prelude and the prologue. So, um, so yeah. Do you have any you know just miscellaneous points you want to bring up? I actually don't. Oh, you know what? I have one. Just just real quick story. Um, okay. I want to I want to back up ten years ago, Drew. Ten years ago, almost. Well, not quite ten years ago. I'm talking nine years, eleven months ago. August 30th, 2010, I was, I just happened on, uh, in that day, upon that day, to be in a bookstore in Windsor, Ontario. I was in the Chapters Indigo bookstore at Devonshire Mall, and I had no idea that there was a Brandon Sanderson book that was supposed to be released very, very soon. I had read Mistborn already, and I knew that Sanderson was completing The Wheel of Time, and I was eagerly awaiting Towers of Midnight. I was like, I was I can't tell you how how much I was awaiting Towers of Midnight uh, because again as I mentioned earlier for anybody who has the context I'm a huge Moiraen fanboy in the Wheel of Time. Now on August 30th I was in the Chapters Indigo in Windsor Ontario at Devonshire Mall and I happened across you know as I always do when I walk through any bookstore I go straight to the mystery sci-fi epic fantasy section and as I found there this giant book in the middle of the aisle, on this huge display, The Way of Kings by Brandon Sanderson. And I was like, wait a second, Sanderson has another book coming out? One that I don't <laughs> even know of somehow? So I picked it up, and, I, and I, I took it home, and I sent pictures. I don't think I was friends enough with you at that point yet, Drew. No, but I sent you know what? You did send me a picture of this. Uh, oh my gosh, I remember this. Yes. Holy I cow. I was standing in... My kitchen at, Jesus, how, how old would I would have been in August of 2010? I would have been 19. No, I would have been 18 turning 19. And it turned out that that book, as I looked it up once I got home, hadn't been released yet. In fact, it was due for release the next day. Yeah, I freaking remember this. <laughs> I remember this. So I just want Holy to draw cow. a point of narcissistic fact, a self-congratulatory fact, that I have the distinction of technically being a fan of the Stormlight Archive since I started reading it on the front porch before I even uh, like got in inside. I was actually locked out because my mom hadn't been home yet and I lost my key because I was an irresponsible bastard back then. I was on the front porch in the sun reading two hours of the Stormlight Archive yes. the day before it was released. So I've been a fan for that long. Holy crap! I <laughs> I freaking remember this, dude. That's I a trip down memory lane for you, there, isn't it? The picture of the book, and then you telling me because I was freaking out. I was like, "Oh my gosh! Like, how did you get that?" And you're like, "You know I, what? I, know, I might still bookstore. have that, dude. And, I have that photo on my Facebook somewhere. I might actually we'll include that in the uh, somewhere in the oh uh, release for this episode. Let's see if I can find it. I'm on my Facebook right now. Whoa. But yeah, I, but yeah, I, I just wanted to draw that point of fact. You saying you were like, "Yeah, I'm locked out right now. I'm just chilling, reading." Yep, and I'm like, just sitting in the sun on a concrete porch, reading the Sanderson book that I'm just now finding out isn't released until tomorrow. So suck it. 
Holy I, uh, cow. That was Holy a good cow. day. Wow, talk about a, a, a blast from the past there. <laughs> so I've been reading this at the Stormlight Archive since before it was released, everybody. Yeah, look at me. I'm special. Man. Man. Okay, okay. Well, I only have one miscellaneous point to bring up today. Um, and, and that is a particular line about Lyrit. About Kaladin's father, okay. Yes. It's when Kaladin uh, tears up Tvlakov's map and, uh, and, and, and they're talking about how Tvlakov almost missed the high storm because the map Kaladin tore up had a list of things. Oh, yes. Can I guess what it is? Actually, I say guess. I know what you're about yeah, to say. Yeah, and so the line is Kaladin's father had made a hobby of it and uh -huh. that it being predicting high storms. And and I want to point out specifically, they say that they could be predicted mathematically. But not with precision, not exactly. So I don't I don't know if this is full on like a, a an inconsistency or a a world building issue, but it seems strange to me that storm wardens are held in such um, fear and 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 distrust because they're you know predicting the future when it is apparently widely known widely known enough that like people in some backwater town in northern Alfkar know the mathematical process to predict high storms. Uh, I, well, I just, has also he's also a very highly educated individual though. He, he is, he is, but but I I just was struck by the kind of incongruity of that, uh, where where there is there is apparently a fairly easy mathematical, um, you know, solution to predicting high storms, and I also. I want to know what that freaking equation is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, two things. One, I just shared that picture with you. Sorry, I just tagged you in it. Um, I found it. And it's dated August 8th, 2010. There's no uh, way I got that book no, three weeks September early. September 2, 2010 is what I well, see. But, but the date on the photo itself, it's actually time-stamped with a camera. I guess I'd waited a month to upload this for some reason. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right you're it right. says 8-08-2010. But there I am holding Sanderson's Way of Kings. It definitely was at least before release. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> Ridiculous. We're going to include this one in the uh, in the description or something. Maybe we'll just upload it as part of the the Facebook post. God, oh, man, it looks so young and full of hope there. <laughs> About 80 pounds lighter. Oh. Okay, well, do we do we have any more about part one, or shall we head into the final draft? Mm, there's more I want to talk about. I wanna, I'll just follow up on what you said about Lyran, but I can't. I, I just, I yeah. can't. Ah, but, yes, I, I definitely noticed that, that it, it was odd that Kaladin's father, of all people, was able to... Uh, or at least had this hobby of predicting high storms. And also, I find it very, very, very interesting that they cannot be predicted perfectly, despite the fact that math is supposed to be a flawless, logical extension. <laughs> I think that has something that, that has a lot to do with lots of theories that I'm going to be throwing forth with our uh, Cosmere discussions going forward. But that's about yeah, it yeah, for, yeah. for everything I have for the first part of the first book of the Stormlight Archive. Okay, well, let's head into the final draft then. Yeah, let's head into the final draft. I'll give us a start because I didn't uh, prepare anything. Um, I am, am partaking in no final draft this week as I'm choosing to give my liver another rest. Uh, indefinitely, for now. Uh, maybe I'll be drinking next Sunday. Maybe I'll be drinking tomorrow. But for today, I'm just sipping on some good old life-giving H2O mixed with Sport for electrolytes, specifically with the orange flavor. Um, did you know that water is actually delicious? It is. Especially if you get nice filtered water from the fridge. Mmm, it's good stuff. I'm, I'm just saying, man, I live in Colorado. We have the best water. <laughs> Ugh. 
I cannot blame you for that. <laughs> we have some good stuff here, but I, I can't say it. I mean, my God, it sounds like yeah. in Colorado. You yeah, guys there, there's a reason why times. like Budweiser and Coors do their advertisements being like Rocky Mountain Water because Rocky Mountain Water <laughs> is the shit. <laughs> oh man, I try some of that mountain water. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, so I. Uh, what did you bring? To the surprise of precisely nobody, I did bring a beer. Oh. And but I brought a very sarcastic beer this this time. How? D- Okay. So this is a 10% triple IPA. Wow. This this is a, a beastly beer. Get yourself a very citrusy bitter drink. It is made by Short Throw Bre- uh Short Throw Brewing Company in oh, what was it? North Haven. I almost said New Haven. North Haven, Connecticut. Uh, made in collaboration with Bottle Logic from California. Uh, I think I've had a couple of maybe know, Bottle Logic collaborations on on the show before. They're a, they're a very highly regarded brewery. Very very good. But yeah, this this beer. Mm. Bready, pineapple-y, very uh, very drinkable for a ten percent. It's quite tasty. But, as I said, this is a sarcastic beer. Yeah, I'm, I'm still waiting for the follow-up on that. This goes out to, very specifically, the Alethi nobility. Okay. This beer is called Dripping with Class. <laughs> oh, man. I'm kind of disappointed that you didn't wait for a wit viewpoint to bring that to whip that one out for... Oh, oh! Just wait. Oh no! Oh no! Oh, just I wait. just done poked. Just I just poked a bear, ladies. You don't and even know. You don't. I even don't know. even know. Okay, okay. <laughs> and I'm excited I have again. Plenty of stuff lined up, <laughs> but to find out what other beers I have lined up, you'll have to listen on. Uh, however, this has been episode 79 of the mm. Inking Out Loud podcast. Next up, we will be covering. The first set of interludes and part two of The Way of Kings. Uh, if you want to get early access to that, check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash inkingoutloud. Uh, we have several different tiers that you can get benefits on. Uh, we have a monthly newsletter. We have monthly short fiction that Rob and I write. We have monthly bonus episodes. Uh, you can get early access to episodes, and you can even request a book for us to read. We have been kind of cruising through some of those requests recently, and in fact, I've had a couple of our uh, Patreon supporters on as guests for the episodes on their books. So check us out there. Uh, in the meantime, my name is Drew McCaffrey. I have been your host today, and with me is my co-host, Rob Santos. Right here. Thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time. Bye, everyone.